there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Let's open the Word of God tonight. Where in the Bible would you like to go? You just tell me. Where would you like to turn to tonight? I told the preacher driving over, I said, I think I'm going to get up tonight and say turn to Zephaniah just to see the looks on some of your faces. But let's open our Bibles to the book of Daniel again, to Daniel chapter number 3. And perhaps you've read through this chapter again. I hope you have. It's a famous chapter and a familiar story, and all the children are going to say, well, we know that story well. It is typically referred to as the story of the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. But I want to say to you tonight, it's not about the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. It's about the God who is greater than the fiery furnace. You see, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And sometimes we get our eyes so fixed on the world around us, we forget the God that is above us and the God that is within us. And when you come to the book of Daniel, chapter number 3, it is really not about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as they were called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It is not even about Nebuchadnezzar. Now, let me just get this out of the way right up front. Nebuchadnezzar thought it was about Nebuchadnezzar. He's a very good picture of the world we live in. As a matter of fact, just a little, little humor in it, I think, sad but true. In Daniel chapter number 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. You remember the dream that he had of that great uh, image that was set up and Daniel had to interpret what the image meant and you remember that the head was the head of gold and the head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon and then as you went down the image it was the succeeding Gentile nations and finally the final Gentile world kingdom that's why this chapter ought to be of interest to you because we're living in the times of the Gentiles the last Gentile kingdom would be the kingdom of the Antichrist remember that now, the interesting thing was when Daniel interpreted the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, now, how many of you ever talked to somebody and all you got to was the first part, they didn't hear the rest of what you said, they only took one thing and that was it? Well, that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. When he heard, thou art that head of gold, he liked that a lot. And that's all he heard. He didn't hear the rest of it at all. So when you come to Daniel chapter 3, he makes a whole image of gold. It's not the image of Daniel chapter 2, it was the image of his own mind. That's the problem we got in this world today, Romans chapter number 1. We got people that are setting up the God that is the God of their imagination and not the God of the Bible, and I want you to know those are two very different gods. And so Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image of gold, all of gold, and he says, I am that image. And he sets himself up as God, and he, re- he says to everybody, now you bow down and worship me. i got to show you this. It's not my sermon. How many, of you give me, how many of you give me 60 seconds? Would you raise your hand? 60 seconds? Good. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Good. That's at least 10 extra minutes. I appreciate it. Look at chapter 2 with me just for a second. Look at verse number 45. Because really, the dream wasn't even about the image. It was about the God who was greater than the image. You see, once the image was constructed, it was destructed. (laughs) Look at verse number 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, 
Watch this. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Look up here just a second. He saw that image, but what he forgot was there was a rock, a stone that came rolling out of the mountain. It's interesting. It says it was made without hands. Look, this rock is Christ. This, this stone is a picture of Christ. He is made without hands. He's the virgin-born Son of God. He is the unique God-man. Man had nothing to do with it. He is God robed in the flesh. And when he comes and finally sets up his kingdom on this earth, which, for the record, he's going to do, He's going to pound all of those Gentile kingdoms to powder. He is going to come and he is going to overrule the Antichrist. Let me just tell you, I'm not really concerned about who the Antichrist is. I know who the Christ is. I'm not really worried about what the last kingdom is going to do. I know what it's going to do. It's going to be terrible. I am concerned about this. I belong to a greater kingdom, and that's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. You see, the stone that the Jews stumbled over and the foundation stone of the gospel and the cornerstone of the church and the precious stone that Peter wrote about is this stone that comes out of the mountain and rules and reigns forever, and I know his name. His name is Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you know that name? Now, that was the pre-sermon to the sermon, all right? Come with me to chapter 3 now, because this is our text tonight. Look at Daniel chapter number 3. The image has been set up. Everybody's been called to bow down and worship it. And we know the story well. These three young men are still standing. Look at verse 13. The Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Stop, lift your head, and look at me just a second. God's people will always be different. They will always be different. Uh, one of the sad realities of, of Christian people, or so-called Christian people today, is they're all trying to fit into a world they're not supposed to fit into. You see, God's people have been called to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean you dress strange or look funny or act weird. Don't try to be strange. You're just different because God sets you apart. It is the presence of God in your life that makes you different from people that do not know God. How many of you believe there ought to be a difference in somebody that knows Jesus as his Savior and somebody that's never had his sins forgiven? How many of you believe that? All right, so let me ask you a question. Why is there so little difference today? It was Layman Strauss that said that in Daniel you find a young man who's kneeling when everybody else is standing. And in these three boys you find young men who are standing when everybody else is kneeling. That's interesting, isn't it? Would you like to know how to stand when you're supposed to stand? Kneel when you're supposed to kneel. Live in the presence of God. Be a person of prayer like we studied last night. And God will give you the courage and the boldness to stand when it is not easy to stand. And so we read on. Look at verse 15. Now, if you be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar liked bluegrass to me. I'm not sure about that, but he liked all these instruments, didn't he? He said, you fall down and worship the image which I've made. Well, but if you worship not, 
Ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And may I pause and say, he's about to find out the answer to that question. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Of course, we know the rest of the story. We'll come to it in just a moment. But let's stop here. Let's just stop here. And I want you to do something. I want you to take your pen, and I want you to circle a little word it is used by these three young men twice, once in verse 17, once in verse 18. Would you circle this word? What is the first word of verse 17, church? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What's the first word? If. Circle that in your Bible, if. Come to verse number 18. But, what's the next word, church? If. Circle it again. Isn't it interesting that these young men, courageous, men of conviction, men of commitment, would use the word if. You see, frankly, there are some things... We do not know. I have no idea what governments are going to do. I have no idea what our own country is going to do. I have no idea what the stock market is going to do. I have no idea what the newspaper will report tomorrow. I turned on just a little bit of the, the Congress proceedings today, and I'm telling you, you listen to some of that, and you just think, what, is, what has happened to our world? We've lost our ever-living minds. I mean, we're talking amongst ourselves. I'm not even talking about politics. I'm just talking about reason and logic has been lost somewhere along the way. That's what sin does, by the way. There's a miserable insanity to sin. That's why every prodigal has to come to himself because somewhere you just kind of lose your right train of mind, you see. And I have no idea what the future is going to hold. I know this. We are living in very uncertain times when I started studying through the book of Daniel in preparation to, to preach to you this week, I discovered that Daniel's day, I think in many ways, parallels the day and age that we live in today. It was a day where there was intense pressure and persecution on people that were trying to live holy and righteous lives. That's the day and age we live in. It was a day and age where Daniel was given a glimpse of the end. I think we're living in the last of the last days. We are living in perilous times, and Jesus could come at any moment. Let me show you where we're living. Look here. We're living right here. We're living on the edge of eternity, and any moment we may take the next step into the presence of our holy God. That's where we're living. And Daniel and Hananiah and Michelle and Azariah and those like them, living in perilous times on the edge of eternity, and to learn how to stay in tune with God, how to listen to God, how to talk to God, how to stay right with God. And I will tell you, that's the greatest challenge we all face. Look, my greatest battle is not in trying to get everybody else to be right with God. It is in me staying right with God. And the greatest enemy I fight is not Nebuchadnezzar. It's my old sinful flesh. And so do you. So there are a lot of things I do not know. But tonight, for the next few moments... The closing message that I have with you, I truly, by God's grace, I want to encourage. I really mean that. I want to leave you tonight not with a question mark. You're going to see in just a minute that the if is not a question mark, it's an exclamation point. Aren't you glad God brings, que not question marks, he brings exclamation points. 
And Satan brings confusion, but God's not the author of confusion. No, he's a God of certainty. He does all things decently and in order. He brings confidence. And I'm praying tonight that God will use his word to increase our faith and help every one of us take our stand strong for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm speaking tonight on some things I know for sure. There are many things I don't know. How many of you know there are a lot of things we don't know? But there's a few things I know for sure. And if I could give you a little practical advice, when everything seems like it's spinning around you and there's a lot of question and confusion and chaos, like the world we're living in, always go back to what you know for sure. And where do you find these things? You find them in the unchanging Word of God. Look, His truth endureth to all generations. His Word is forever settled in heaven. The only thing that lasts from generation to generation is truth. So what's the truth we find in Daniel chapter 3? Would you write these thoughts down tonight? Number one, I want you to write down that we will all face the fire. I know that for sure. We will all face the fire. I don't know what your fire will be. Your, Your trouble and tribulation and trial may not be mine, but we will all face the fire. I wish you had time to do this, but on your own, you can do it today. I sat down, I read through Daniel chapter 3 again myself, and I noticed something. This repetition of the burning fiery furnace, the burning fiery furnace, the burning fiery furnace. Look, how many times does God have to say it for us to get the idea it was a burning fiery furnace? And then, on top of that, Nebuchadnezzar says, heated seven times more than it's wont to be heated. Do you know that fire or the burning fiery furnace is mentioned 15 times in one chapter? Why would that be necessary? Sounds like the Holy Ghost is trying to emphasize something. See, when God says it more than once, it's not because he forgot he said it the first time. It's because he doesn't want us to forget that he said it. And I want to say to you tonight, God wants every one of us to remember this. Listen to the words of Peter under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God many centuries after Daniel and, and these boys' account. Peter said, think it not strange concerning the what, church? Fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. But rather rejoice that you are made partakers of Christ's sufferings. Friend, nobody ever went through a fire like Jesus went through a fire. And when you are called to go through the fire in this world, listen to me. You're just following in the steps of your Savior and your Master. And in the end, friend, I want you to know... Our God is the consuming fire, and the only thing greater than the fire of hell is the fire of our God. Our God is always greater. What fire did these young men have to go through? Well, scan it just for a second. In the first six verses, they go through the fire of temptation. There's no doubt in my mind they were tempted for a moment. We're all tempted. Nobody's perfect. And we all have this temptation around us to bow. And maybe one of them said to the other, you know, maybe we ought just get stooped down a little low here so we don't stand out so much. And for a moment, there was the fire of temptation. Praise God, the Lord makes a way where you might endure the temptation and a way to escape the temptation. So they survived that fire. And when you come to verse number 7, Here's the fire of popularization. In verse number 7, everybody bowed down. Everybody except for these boys. I'm going to tell you, when, when everything gets popular, it's hard to be the standout, isn't it? I mean, honestly, when it, when, it gets, when it gets pretty popular to do certain things and you're not doing it or vice versa, it gets pretty hard. But I want you to know that's part of God's test in your life. Stay true to the Lord. That fire is coming. 
And then in verse number 12, notice the fire of accusation. These men have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses God to you and you to God, and he'll accuse you to everybody else. That's just the way he does it. And so the fire of accusation may come. Then when you come to verse 13, here's the fire of question. They're brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar fires this question. Is this true? Is this true? And I'm thinking now of what Jesus said to his disciples. When they ask you certain things, take no thought what you're going to answer. Take no thought what you're going to answer. In that moment, it will be given you what to answer. Sounds a lot like to me these men saying, O king, we are not careful to answer thee according to this matter. Or what about Peter? He said this, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Brothers and sisters, this is not a day to not know what you believe and why you believe what you believe. You better get some things settled in your heart because every one of us will face the fire of questions. And then there's the fire finally of persecution. In verse 19 and verse 20, they're thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. They literally had to go into it and had to go through it. We'd all like to think God will spare us of that. But the reality is when you study the martyrs of the faith and you study the history of faithful Christians, you find that some of the most spiritual people suffered the most. And I'm going to tell you something. In our American Christianity, we know very little about that. And we've gotten the idea that as long as we're comfortable and have our conveniences, we got the blessing of God. I want you to know when the blessing of God is on you, you may not always be comfortable and it may not always be convenient, but you can take heart in this. Jesus said, I will never leave thee and I will never forsake thee. Every one of us will be called on to go through the fire. Before we go any further, hold your place here. Go back to Isaiah with me just for a second. Isaiah references the fire frequently. Look at Isaiah chapter 24 and verse number 15. It's powerful. Circle this in your Bible. The Lord says this to his people, and I think we ought to say, Lord, let this be true of me. Look at Isaiah 24, 15. Wherefore, glorify ye the Lord, mark this in your Bible, in the fires. Notice the plural here. There are many fires. There are many spiritual attacks. There are many difficulties that we're faced with every day of our life. Now watch this. I love this. Glorify ye the Lord in the fires, even the name of the Lord God of Israel in the isles of the sea. May I submit to you tonight, at no other time in your life may you be able to glorify God any more than when you're going through the midst of the fire. In fact, watch. It's not after things get better that God gets greatest glory. It's when things are at their worst that He gets the greatest glory. I'm going to tell you why. Because only God can give you grace. When you're in the midst of it. When we were reading a minute ago, I came to that phrase, in the midst of the burning fire verse, in the midst of the burning fire verse, in the midst of the burning. How many of you are glad God's always in the midst? Do you remember when they caught that woman in adultery and they, and they were going to stone her and they drag her and they, and they bring her into this place and they circle around her and the Bible says they put her, guess where they put her? In the midst. And they said to Jesus, all right, you want to throw the first stone or you want us to? What does Jesus do? He gets down and writes on the ground. By the way, if anybody tells you they know what Jesus wrote on the ground, they're lying to you because that's not in the Bible. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. We'll find out someday. But I know this. Look, please. When he got down there, he was at eye level with her. When he got down on the ground, look, please. Thank you, Lord, for this. She couldn't come up to where he was, so he came down to where she was. Aren't you glad we have that kind of Savior? 
And where is Jesus, friends? He's in the midst. When the disciples were in that boat in the middle of the night, in the midst of the greatest storm they've ever encountered, where was Jesus? He was right there in the midst. And I'm going to tell you, whatever fire you're going through, Jesus is in the midst, and he will help you to glorify God in the midst of your fire. Here's something else I know for sure. Go back to Daniel chapter 3. Not only will we all face the fire, but secondly, we'll all be called on to exercise faith. Don't miss that. The only way you're going to get through it with victory is faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And by the way, faith is not something you have. It's something you use. I hear people say, I'm a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith. What does that mean? Faith is not something you hold on to. Faith is something you have to exercise. And by the way, it's not the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith that's strong. There are days my faith isn't very strong, but hallelujah, Jesus is always very strong. And so we will all be called on to exercise faith. Let me give you a few thoughts about that. First of all, their faith was rooted in the Word of God. Say, how do you know that? Well, they knew Exodus chapter number 20. They knew that the first great commandment was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And they knew that right after it it said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And guess what Nebuchadnezzar had just done? He had just set up a false god and made a graven image. And somewhere back yonder in Jerusalem, before they were ever carried to Babylon, they got the word of God so deeply in their hearts that it was an anchor that kept them from drifting when the fire came. And I want to say to you, this is a day and hour to get in the Word. Let the Word of God get in you. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you're going to be strong in faith, you're going to have to be strongly rooted in the Word. Here's another truth about this faith. It creates an attitude of worship. Don't miss this. Matter of fact, I want you to do something. Would you do something? Go to verse number 5. He said, I want you to fall down and what? What's the word? Worship. Look at verse 6, whoso falleth not down and worshipped. Look at verse 7, they fell down and worshipped. Look at the end of verse 10, shall fall down and worship. Verse 11, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth. Verse 12, the end of the verse, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. Verse 14, do you not serve my gods nor worship? Verse 15, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well, but if ye worship not. Verse 18, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou set up. Verse 28, end of the verse, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Please don't miss this. Your Christian life is to be a life of worship. And who you hold in esteem and stand in awe of is the one that's going to rule and reign in your life. You see, this was not a matter of, pardon me, this was not a matter of posture. This is not standard kneel. No, friend, it was deeper than that. It wasn't physical. It was spiritual. This was a matter of worship. And I love this. You want victory? Let me tell you what you do. You live every day in an attitude of worship with your eyes, not on Nebuchadnezzar, but on Jesus. Let me tell you what worship is. When you really in an attitude of worship, God is great and everybody else is little, including you. An attitude of worship lifts up the Lord and sees him high, holy, exalted, worthy of our very best. And I'm going to tell you, that worship will help you to trust Him in the hardest hours of your life. The one you worship, you can trust.
There's another truth about this faith. Write this down. It overcomes worry. Look at verse number 16. Their first words out of the mouth. What would you say? You, you before Nebuchadnezzar, what would you say? Old Nebuchadnezzar, we're scared. No. Old Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. You know what that means? We're not even anxious. We're not even worried about answering you. How do you look a potentate in the face knowing the fiery furnace has already started over there and what he's decreed and say, we're not anxious about this. I'll tell you why. The apostle Paul said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Watch this, please. They didn't know whether God was going to keep their body or not, but they knew God was going to keep their heart and mind. I like that, don't you? You can't change all the circumstances. You don't know how everything's going to work out, but the first thing the Lord's going to cast out in your life is fear. In recent days, in my own life, the devil has attacked me a little bit. So how's he attacked me? He attacks in different ways at different times, but in recent days, he's attacked me with certain fears and anxieties. And you know what I've had to learn? I've had to learn that as I spend time in the Word of God, God strengthens my faith and helps me to keep my eyes on the Lord instead of on my fears. And the only way you can be bold, friend, is by living near to God and staying in the Word and staying strong in faith. Now, here's the ultimate. Would you write this down about the faith we're called on to exercise? It's evident in our witness. It comes out of what you say. So let's look at what they say. Would you look at their confession of faith? I wonder, do you have this kind of confession? I didn't ask, have you made a profession of faith? I asked, do you have this kind of confession of faith? This is a present tense. Look at their confession of faith. Look at verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able. Let's stop right there. First thing they confessed was that God is able. So let's just take a church vote tonight. How many of you believe God is able? All right. Able to do what? Yes is the answer, right? Whatever the need is, is anything too hard for the Lord? There's nothing too hard for our God. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. God is able. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or even think according to his power that works inside of us. Philippians 3 verse 21 says that God is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 2 Timothy 1.12 says that God is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Praise his name. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says that our God is able to make all grace abound toward us so that you have all sufficiency in all things things. Hebrews 2.18 says that our God is able to secure those who are tempted. Hebrews 7.25 says that our God is able to save to the uttermost those who come unto God by Him. Jude 24 says, praise the Lord, that our God is able to keep us from falling. And so I want to tell you tonight on the authority of the Word of God, whatever you're dealing with, whatever your fire, whoever your Nebuchadnezzar, God is able. But that's not the whole of the confession. Read on. They go a step further. Now they say that it be so, verse 17, our God and we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So mark this down. Number one, they said God's able. Number two, they said God will. Faith doesn't just say he can. Faith says he will. 
And somebody says, well, I don't know about this preacher. I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen. Read the verse carefully. They did not say, God will deliver us from the fiery furnace. Look what it says. It says, he will deliver us from thine hand, O king. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe those boys understood, watch this please, that either God would deliver them from the fiery furnace and in so doing deliver them from Nebuchadnezzar's wishes, or if they were called on to die in the fiery furnace, the worst thing that could happen to them is their body melts, but their spirit goes to be with God forever, and Nebuchadnezzar could lay hold on them there. Either way, they were delivered from their enemy. Now, I want to tell you something. For a Christian, either way, it's going to be all right. Whether present or absent, right? Whether we, whether we die or whether we live, we are the Lord's. Aren't you glad about that? Yeah, I'm telling you, you can't beat the Christian life. Look, in the Christian life, God comes to live in your house now, and you go to live in his house forever. You can't beat that. And so, number one, God is able. Number two, God will. Then we come to a statement that for years puzzled me because it starts with the word if. And I must tell you, I believe it now to be the greatest statement of faith they made. The deepest faith is not the faith that says God is able or the faith that says God will. It is the faith that says if God doesn't do it the way I hope he does, I'll still trust him. Look what they said. Look at verse number 18. It's powerful. Circle the first three words. But if not. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Watch, please. This if, write this down somewhere. This if is the if of faith. Usually, the word if is a word of skepticism, of question. But this, this if is not a word of doubt. Oh, no, it's a word of acceptance. Look, please. Lord, whatever you choose, we believe it's going to be best. It's a word of abandonment. Lord, we're all in. We're all yours. It's a word of assurance that says we do believe, Lord, your way is best. May I ask you something tonight? Can you trust that God's choice is better than yours? What if it doesn't turn out the way you hope it does? What if the person doesn't change? What if the circumstance doesn't go away? What if it doesn't get better? Can you trust him then? Will God be enough if your prayer doesn't get answered the way you hope it will? It's the same spirit that Job had when he said, Though he slay me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It's the same spirit that Esther had when she said, I'm going in, y'all pray for me. I'm, I'm going into the king and, here's the word, if I perish, I perish. It's the same spirit that in Hebrews chapter number 11, I think it's verse 13, says that those people endured to the end without ever seeing the fulfillment of the promise. What does it mean? It means that true faith in God says, Lord, Whatever you want, that's okay with me. I want you to mark something in your Bible, would you? In verse 17, I just noticed this today. In verse 17, I want you to mark these two words, he will. But in verse 18, I want you to mark these two words, we will. Now watch this, please. We know God's always going to do right. How many of you believe God always does his part? Amen, church? The question is not whether he will. The question is, will we? You see, faith is not an emotion. It's a choice. 
Faith was a deliberate, volitional decision these young men made to place themselves solely in the hand of God and believe that God's way was best. And I wonder tonight, have you ever put your life in God's hands that way? I wonder that thing or that person or that circumstance, have you placed it in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus and said to the Lord, Lord, whatever you choose, it's all right with me? Let me show you something. Go to the end of the chapter. Look at verse 28 with me. Nebuchadnezzar's talking now. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar found out who God was. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. Did you notice what Nebuchadnezzar just said? They did what? What does it say? They did what? They trusted in him. Nebuchadnezzar recognized faith by their actions. Read on. They trusted in him and have changed the king's word. I like that. He acknowledges my word is nothing compared to the real king's word. And, mark this in your Bible, yielded their bodies. Now they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Let me tell you what real faith is. Real faith is surrender. You'll know you're living the faith life. Remember, the just shall live by faith. I didn't ask, did you trust him as your Savior 40 years ago? I'm asking you, are you living by faith today? You'll know you're living the faith life when every day you're yielding your body and your your family and your future and your possessions and your all to God. The faith life is a life of surrender and every one of us will be called on to live it. I wonder, are you living by faith? Most people know the name of Eric Little in conjunction to that famous movie, Chariots of Fire. You know the story of his Olympic running and then he wouldn't run on Sunday. And the amazing story, what most people do not know, is that Eric Little went on to be a missionary and died in a Japanese prison camp. And the final two words that Eric Little ever uttered when he was put to death in that Japanese camp, were these two words, complete surrender. That's powerful. He wasn't talking about surrendering to the Japanese. No, he wasn't talking about surrendering to Nebuchadnezzar. No, he was surrendering to one higher, holier, more wonderful than that. And I didn't come tonight to ask how long you've been saved, how long you've been a church member, how much do you know about God, how many times have you read through the Bible, how many revival meetings have you gone to. I came tonight to ask, have you made a complete surrender of everything to Jesus Christ? Because when you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ someday, you don't want to be holding on to anything that you should have laid at his feet. One thing I know is we're all going to face the fire. One thing I know for sure is that we're all going to be called on to exercise faith. But there's something else. Number three, would you write this one down? Another thing I know is that there'll be a fourth man with us in the fiery furnace. Let's come to the end of the story. This gets really good now. Look at verse number 25. Praise the Lord for this. Ah, Let's start in verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors, don't you wish you could have heard how he said it? Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. Look up here. Can't you just see him going, Fellas, come here a second. Help me count just a second. My math skills aren't all they used to be. One, two, three. Let's all set together. What is it? Four. Wait a minute. We only put three men in there. Where's the fourth guy come from? Look at the next verse, verse 25. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men, watch this, loose, 
walking in the midst of the fire. Now, that's a miracle in itself. And they have no hurt. Matter of fact, when you get to the end of the chapter, they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. Only God could do that. Wouldn't you like to see some of what only God could do? You know, we've seen enough what man can do. Wouldn't you like to see God's mighty power at work in our lives? And now look at the end of verse 26, verse 25, rather. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. He said, I don't know. I, I think I know those other three boys. We know who they are. But that fourth one, now, he looks different to me. There's something different about that one. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And I know Nebuchadnezzar called him the fourth, so I'm calling him the fourth. But could I just say tonight, he actually is not the fourth. He's the first and the last. He was in there before the boys ever got there. And he was still in there long after they went out. And whatever fire you're in the midst of, praise God, Jesus is right there with you. He said, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. And all God's people said, amen. Let me show you something. Go back to Isaiah with me again just a second. Real quick. Go to Isaiah 43. Now, I told you Isaiah talked a lot about the fires. So look at this parallel. Look at Isaiah 43, verse number 1. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that Form thee, O Israel, fear not. Remember I said to you, when you get in the presence of God, the first thing God does is cast out fear. Faith cast out fear. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. There's a whole lot of doctrine wrapped up in that verse. He created you. He redeemed you. He's called you by his name, and you belong to him. I want to stop right there and say, thank you, Lord, for doing that in my life. What a joy. Now look at verse 2. Here's his promise. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. Now watch it. When. He doesn't say if. We're all going to have our fires. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. I don't know about you. That sounds a lot like exactly what happened to those boys in that fiery furnace. What made the difference, church? Was it their flame-retardant clothes that they bought at Walmart the day before? I think not. Did they have fire extinguishers in there? Were they, were they supermen? No, it's never about us. No, Jesus was with them. Listen to me, church. When Jesus is with you, you have everything you need. I, I know you're weak, the Lord said to Paul, but my grace is sufficient for thee. And I know you're hurting, but I want you to know there's a bomb in Gilead. And I know you're suffering, but after you've suffered for a while, he'll make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And I know you're in the midst of the fiery furnace, friends, but there is a fourth man in the fiery furnace, and he promises he'll be with you in the midst of your fire. So there's one more thing that I know for sure. I know for sure we'll all be called on to go through the fire. I know for sure we'll all have to exercise faith. I know for sure there'll be a fourth man there with us, but I know for sure there's a future. See, for the people of God, there's always a future. Sin writes the end, and that's it. But God's a God of new beginnings, and there was a future. Look at how the chapter ends. Look at verse 29. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar speaking, I make a decree that every people, nation, language, which speak anything amiss against this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there's no other God that can deliver out of this sort, after this sort. Doesn't that sound a little different than the way he started at the beginning of the chapter? 
By the way, I've marked that last phrase in my Bible and written the margin. This is the answer to his question in verse 15. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? He got the answer. There is no other God that can deliver after this sort. And then look at verse 30. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. We don't read much about them after this. We don't know all that happened in their lives, but we know this. Watch, please. When they believed God and obeyed God, God blessed them. You want God's blessing? And you must exercise faith in the fires of life. And watch this, please. In the future, not only, I love this, not only do you get blessing, God gets glory. See, that's what it's really all about. God has designed it so your greatest good and his greatest glory are intimately connected and interwoven. That when you bring him glory and honor, he takes care of you. That when you live for his pleasure, you'll find pleasure in that. It's just the way the Lord works. And in the end, I think one of the greatest victories in the story Have you ever pondered this? Perhaps one of the greatest victories in the story was not that those boys were not burned. It was that Nebuchadnezzar became a believer. We get so selfish. Don't we get selfish? We get so stinking selfish thinking it's all about us. Even when we come to church, even in our prayers, we think it's all about us. Even in the sermons, we're thinking about our need. Did it ever dawn on you that God's got a big thing going on in this world and we're one part of something much bigger than us? And maybe the thing God's doing in your life right now and the furnace you're walking through and the fire you're enduring is really not for you. It's for somebody else. The Apostle Paul said that we comfort them that are in any comfort or in any trouble, with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I remember going through a period of time in my life where I went through a tremendous doubt about my salvation, Pastor. Terrible doubt. Paralyzing fear and doubt. And God gave me victory. I talked to everybody I could talk to, read 1 John 100 times, prayed so many times, trying to get my salvation settled. I finally got real victory. You know how I got victory? It's not what I'm preaching on, but I'll just throw it in there. It may help somebody. I got victory when I finally realized Jesus was enough. And when I finally realized Christ was enough, that settled it for me. I'm leaning on Jesus. He's enough. And that gave me Bible assurance. It was wonderful. So why are you telling us that? Because when I first started working at the college years ago, I remember the young people that started coming to my office, and they were so embarrassed and ashamed, and they'd sit down and start crying and say, you know, Brother Paulie, I'm supposed to be a preacher. I, I was going to be a missionary, but I'm dealing with such doubts about my salvation. You ever had anything like that in your life? Could, could you help me? <laughs> and at that moment, the Holy Spirit started bringing to my mind things God taught me walking through my fire that I could help them with. Tammy and I got married. We were so excited. Found out we were going to have a baby. And you know, like most couples do, immediately... They start telling everybody right at first, and we told lots of people, and everybody was excited for us. And a few weeks into the pregnancy, she had a miscarriage. And I remember how heartbreaking it was. I still remember the little apartment we were living in in Knoxville at the time. I remember laying on the couch just trying to think, wrap my mind around it. Lord, why? I remember saying to God, we're trying to serve you, and we just want to honor you, and we're giving our lives to you. And Why would you take this baby? I remember the night I was sitting in a church service and our pastor got up and he said the name of a fine young couple in our church and he said, I want you to pray for them. He said they were expecting a child and he said they've lost that child now. And you know, I'm telling you, it was like an arrow from heaven to my heart. The Holy Spirit said, that's your assignment. That's why you went through that. So you and Tammy could minister to them. 
I've seen that so many times in my life. And you know, I think when we really get awake to God, when real revival comes and we get out of ourselves, one thing we start seeing is it's really not just about us going through the fiery furnace. It's about us being used to God to keep somebody else out of the fires of hell. Nebuchadnezzar became a believer because these young men lived in faith. And I wonder who in this town will become a believer because you're following God in faith. Because you're pressing on for the Lord and His glory. Look, there's a lot of things I don't know. But this I know for sure. The fire's coming. I'm not asking for it. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not praying for it. But it's coming, whether you want it or not. But listen to me, church. If you'll exercise faith, you'll see Christ in the midst of that furnace. And God will work not only in your lives, but the lives of other people. There is always a future for the people of God. And for the record, it's always a bright future for a child of God. And Norm Judson and his wife, Anne, went to Burma, Myanmar. It's called now. They went to Burma as missionaries. They were so excited. Did you know they weren't Baptist when they got on the boat? They weren't Baptist when they got on the boat. But when they got off the boat, they were Baptist. That's a strange story in itself. Now, they were dedicated Christian people, knew and loved God and burdened for the country of Burma, but uh, God providentially put them on board with somebody that taught them about immersion and, and uh, baptism following salvation, all that kind of thing, and they got off and they got baptized by immersion, and they wrote back to the, their church and said, we're sorry, we can't represent y'all anymore, we've become Baptists since we arrived here. And so they became Baptist missionaries, Burma, fascinating story. They started preaching the gospel. People started getting saved. God was working, and then Adoniram got arrested. They threw him in jail, and they beat him, and they tortured him. And one day, they took him, and they hung him by his thumbs from the ceiling of his prison cell, and they just left him there. He was in excruciating pain, arms numb, going in and out of consciousness, and Anne came to pay a visit, and they let her in to see him hanging in the prison cell. They thought she'd be so overwhelmed with emotion that she'd talk him out of all this nonsense of preaching the gospel what they didn't know was Anne was as strong and out and out for God as Adoniram was she comes into the prison cell and she sees him hanging there by his thumbs and she starts just weeping Adoniram Judson roused himself and he sees his young bride standing there and he says sweetheart why are you here she takes a piece of paper out of her pocket and unfolds it and starts reading it and she says Adoniram the mission agency back home has written you a letter they, they need a report. They want to know how the work here in Burma is progressing, how things are getting along here. Those kind of things always come right when you don't need them to come, don't they? And Adoniram Judson, think of this, hanging by his thumbs in a prison cell, roused himself and smiled, looked her straight in the face and said, you write them and tell them that the future here is as bright as the promises of God. And do you know within three hours he was released from that prison cell? I came to tell you something tonight, church. I don't know a lot of things about the future, but I know this. I know the future here is just as bright as all the promises of God. And by the way, in Corinthians, the Bible says that all the promises of God in Christ are yea, that means yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God by us. Lay hold on the promises of God. Lay hold on the presence and power and peace of our God the future of this church and your family and your life and the work of God in this world is just as bright as all the promises of God. And I hope tonight you'll settle some things, know them for sure, 
and determined by the grace of God to stand on them till we kneel at Jesus' feet someday. Our Father, I pray that the Spirit of the living God will be our teacher now, that you plant the truth so deeply in our hearts, O Lord, we shall not forget it. And not only in this hour, but when we most need it, when the fire comes, Lord, when when Nebuchadnezzar rears his ugly head, when the furnace gets turned up seven times hotter, let the Holy Spirit bring these truths to our minds and hearts and give us courage and strength. Prepare us for the future you have prepared for us. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.